1982, John Belushi, the fabulous comedy star of TV's Saturday Night Live, Animal House, and The Blues Brothers, is dead at the age of 33. 1984, his story becomes a book by Bob Woodward, the prize-winning author of All the President's Men. You know, this could be one of those stories we've always talked about, that whole Hollywood drug scene out there. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I'm your host, Scott White, and what are we talking about this time? We are talking about the 1984 biography of John Belushi, Wired, by Bob Woodward. I just want to say that John Belushi was the first celebrity death that I clearly remember. I clearly remember getting a lot of press at the time. I knew a little about him. I actually saw Continental Divide in the theater. And I believe I had seen an edited version of Animal House on television at that time. Didn't know a lot about him, knew a little about him, but I just remember all the press that his death received when it happened and how it came out, how lurid it was and with the drugs and and all that. I just remember how it progressed. So John Belushi's life and death was one of the first like big celebrity deaths in my life. And that sort of got me involved in wanting to know more about him. And I, then I watched The Blues Brothers. I even watched Neighbors. I watched his lesser movies. I went back and started watching Saturday Night Live. Saw him on there. Actually started with The Best of John Belushi. I've done a podcast on that as well. So I was really interested in reading the book. And there is a lot of controversy surrounding the book. His wife... Judy, at the time, didn't think the police handled the investigation all that well. They half-assed it, as she put it, and she she wanted Woodward to go in, and she wanted that to be the bulk of the book, from what I understand. And she got him access to all of John's friends, all of his acquaintances. He interviewed uh, drug dealers. It's very, very funny. In the back of the book, it says of all the people, Dan Aykroyd, actor. Ed Bagley Jr., actor. Bernie Brillstein, agent. So-and-so, drug dealer. So it was a well-researched book. That being said, this is one of the most grim, bleak books I have ever read. What people said about the book, mostly people who knew John Belushi, was that it was just one-sided. It was just about the drug use. It was just about being out of control. You didn't get an essence of who John was as a person. You didn't get the whole person of John Belushi. You just got the animal. You just got the Bluto side of John Belushi. This is a lured book, and it's a repetitive book, because it's just one drug story after another drug story after another drug story. And that's how Belushi led his life, but that couldn't have been it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the book. I don't want to get too in-depth about a book. This is actually the first book that I have done a podcast on. That's going to be new for me, so bear with me if I'm struggling through this a bit. I'm I'm just going to go over the book a bit, hit some high points in the book, and then concentrate on the Ackeroid portion of the book, how he was used how he interacted with John in John's life. 
It starts off with the Blues Brothers. They're filming a scene in the Blues Brothers, and there's a story, which was new at the time, but it's retold, where they couldn't, they had to shoot the scene, it had a certain time of day, and light had to be perfect, it was perfect, and they couldn't get Belushi out of the trailer. So John Landis goes into the trailer, and he just sees Belushi there with his big mound of coke, and he flushes the coke down the toilet, and Belushi goes crazy, and they almost get into a fist fight. So that's how the book starts. It starts with coked out John on the set of the Blues Brothers. So it does reach out and grab you. And then after that, that's how the first chapter starts. And then after that, it goes in chronological order from his high school days up to his death. There is very little, almost none, of his family life in here. You get some comments about Jim Belushi, his brother, and you hear about his mom and his dad. You never find out why, in this book, Belushi just loved drugs so much and loved overdoing it so much. It might have had something to do with his parents. It might have had something to do with his upbringing. But his upbringing is pretty much ignored in this book. You start at, not the middle, but right when he goes and starts acting in Chicago. He starts doing summer stock theater. Right off the bat, you know that Belushi was a special person. You know that he was, from high school, he had what it is. He had the it factor. And the one thing about this book, which really encapsulates, is celebrity has changed so much in the years. Once Belushi got famous on Saturday Night Live, once Belushi got mega famous from Animal House, he was recognized everywhere he went, and everybody knew him, and he was special at the time. Now, I've said this before, the word celebrity has lost all meaning today. TikTok celebrities, YouTube celebrities. Back then, a celebrity was just a celebrity. A celebrity was just this bigger-than-life person, and what made them a celebrity back then is you didn't know everything about their lives. Nobody knew outside of his friends, that Belushi was a drug addict when all that stuff came out in his autopsy. Like, his close friends knew, but no, now, if Belushi did half the stuff that he did back then, he would be on TMZ all the time. And that, unfortunately, is what led to his death because it's made very, very clear that everybody knew Belushi was doing drugs but nobody tried to step in and do anything. They would always make excuses for him, or they would always justify it by saying, well, he's doing drugs, but he's cut down on it. He's doing enough where he can handle it. And the only person who ever did anything to help John get off drugs was a guy named Smokey Wendell. And he was a, a bodyguard, and John actually hired him to keep cocaine away from him. And for a time, it worked. For a time, John was clean and sober-ish. And the thing I don't like about this book is it glosses over the non-lurid parts of Belushi's life, which I think we want to hear. As I said, we want to get the well-rounded picture. There is a book written by his wife called Belushi, and there's also the documentary on Belushi, those handle his life better than this book because you get the whole picture. And we start going through his life, and Belushi first met Ackroyd when Belushi was in charge of the National Lampoon Radio Hour. 
and now they had his radio show, and he went to Canada. They met somewhere, and he went to Canada, but Dan couldn't leave at the time because he was doing a children's show, and he was making lots and lots of money in Canada. So that was the first time that, that Belushi and Aykroyd met. They went back, he went back down, he did the National Lampoon, and then they were casting for Saturday Night... Oh, I'm sorry, we're going to go back. So John got cast in the musical Lemmings, which also had Chevy Chase and Christopher Guest in it, future SNLers as himself. Lorne Michaels saw that. He wanted to hire Chevy Chase, but just as a writer on Saturday Night Live. But eventually Chevy Chase got a chance to perform. And one of the interesting things in this book is... Chevy Chase fought to get John Belushi on the show. We all know that Belushi and Chase butted heads. They didn't really like each other. But the fact that Chevy knew that John was right for the show and tried to convince Lauren that he was right for the show, Chevy Chase has a reputation of being an asshole. I thought that was great. So that was one of the bright points of the book for me, knowing that Chevy Chase, even though they didn't like each other, hey, get John on the show. It's good for the show. And then, of course, Ackroyd gets on the show. And then that's when Ackroyd and Belushi become really, really close. And they also bring out is that Ackroyd and Belushi fought about the writing. Ackroyd is your typical writer. He sits down, he puts pen to paper, he writes, he types. Belushi was more of an idea man. He would, he would spurt out ideas and then expect other people to put it on paper for him. But he wanted the writing credits. And that made Ackroyd mad. Another little tidbit, which... This is why this book is needed. Sure, it doesn't cover all the aspects in the other ones where the books mention the drug use but are going to lean a little more kindly towards Belushi. You may, you may not get this. This is all part of his life. I think you need to read all the stuff on Belushi to get all parts of his life. I think this little chunks are missing from each thing that you read or each thing that you hear each thing that you see and in this book I thought it was interesting that even though Belushi and Ackroyd loved each other Ackroyd would get mad at Belushi for not putting the effort into writing it was very very interesting to me I've read this book several times I remember some of it but that was a that was a bit that I forgot so when I heard it again I was like oh okay yeah I remember that now and I think that's a great relationship that they had. They could be, they could love each other, but they could also have fights, creative fights. I felt bad for Ackroyd because basically what he was, not so much on Saturday Night Live, but when they were on their films, such as uh, The Blues Brothers and 1941 and Neighbors, Ackroyd was the Belushi Wrangler. That's what, that was his job. So on top of everything else, on top of acting, on top of uh, Blues Brothers writing, he had to keep John in line. And that had to be an exhausting job. Because when you read this book, it is almost impossible to imagine how much cocaine, how much drugs that John Belushi did. I read Richard Pryor's biography, and the one thing it has in common with this is I am amazed at how those two could work with the amount of drugs they were taking at the time. They were messed up when they weren't performing, but when they were performing, something happened, they snapped into place, and it just came out of them. Now, to get Belushi to perform, mainly on those movies, that was Ackroyd's job. 
they had to get him. He had to carouse him. He had to carouse him. They had to, he had to corral him and then get him to focus. And once he focused, once he was there, bam, it was on. It was magic. Even in the bad movies, even in 1941 in Neighbors, when Belushi is on, Belushi is on. And another thing that bothered me about this, as I said, it's always about the negative stuff. Like, the, the even though The Blues Brothers is a great movie, we have all the negative drug use. And then 1941, not only was it a, a flop, it wasn't a flop. Another mis, uh, misnomer about Belushi is that his movies lost money. No, all of his movies made money. All of his movies were not a big hit like Animal House. But... All of his movies made money. When your first movie is Animal House right out of the gate and it is just an astronomical hit, that led to a lot of his drug use. He was always trying to recapture Animal House in his other movies. And that was almost impossible. When you come out of the gate so hot, you have to chase that the entire time. And that was one of the reasons why he did drugs. He had to chase this sounds awful. He had to chase Bluto. He was torn up inside because Bluto made him famous, but now he didn't want to be identified as Bluto. A lot of actors have that. They're typecast. He was typecast as Bluto, and he hated it, but he got all his fame from being Bluto. But the thing I don't like is the good times are never covered. The book spends a lot of time going on his movies, The Blues Brothers and 1941 and Neighbors. The, the book spends a great deal of time on Neighbors, and I'll talk about that in depth later. But those were all movies that Belushi had problems on, not only with drugs, but with conflict with the directors, conflict with the scripts. But he also made the movies Animal House and Continental Divide. And in those movies, there was no outlandish behavior. If there was, it was contained. So if you're going to speak about how his bad behavior was on some movies, you've got to talk about his good behavior on these movies. And the good behavior is just glossed over. You want the whole person? You can't gloss over the good. And I know it's... And I don't. I have not read... I know Bob Woodward is pretty much a political biographer... And I think this might be his only non-political biography. This is the only book of his that I have read. I don't know his style. And I know that pretty much everybody in John's life hated this book. I know Ackroyd hated this book. He went on television and just ripped it apart. A quote from Dan Ackroyd. Woodward spoke with me about an hour and a half. And you know, there's things in the book I don't remember saying to him. And first of all, the book, I've skimmed through excerpts of it, and it's really pulpy and trashy. It's not well written at all. And Bob Woodward, here was a man with a very respectable career. All the president's men, the brethren, and his research and newspaper work. And all of a sudden, he does a book called The Short Life and Fast Times of John Belushi. What a kind of cheap, you know... He's just stepping down into that seedy world, and I think he's really avoided many issues in the book. He certainly has avoided the issue of what a fun bag John was, what a great guy he was, what a warm, humorous, really, you know, concerned and bright, educated, well-read individual this guy was. 
How did he get to be so successful? He was smart, you know. He wasn't just given his break, and he had to work for what he had. And Woodward completely skirts that, and it's a depressing, sordid, tragic book. He jumps around the issue of the police probe and the fact that some of the people that were purveying drugs to John were friends of police force members in Los Angeles. And this is something that he wimped out on. And I've heard that he really didn't write most of the book. That it was John Anderson, his researcher, who put down most of the material on paper. And for my part, I just think that it's really depressing reading. And Judy wasn't happy with it. She wanted him to investigate the police investigation because they pretty much glossed over it. There's just a paragraph how, how the police just didn't really, didn't seem like they really cared. They went into his bungalow after Belushi died. A lot of his personal stuff was there and a lot of stuff from Kathy Smith, the one who gave him the speedball that killed him. A lot of her stuff was there. Why did the police not have this evidence? Why is this still here? It's been like four days. Nobody has come in. Nobody has has done a forensic examination of the room. But that's it. That's pretty much it on how the police, I don't want to say bungled this, but didn't really care about this. Also, Woodward makes a lot of people sound bad in this book. But, now I looked in the back, and all the celebrities he made look bad, they all interviewed with Bob Woodward. And I don't know how that went. I don't know if it was off the, you know, um, not off the book off the record, and he used it anyway, or he got the information, they all agreed to sit down with Woodward and talk to Woodward. And I remember Blair Brown, who was his co-star for Continental Divide, said that, that Woodward tricked her into telling stuff that she didn't want to tell, basically said he wasn't going to use it, and he did. I don't know if he did this with other people. Like Ed Begley Jr., Robin Williams, Jack Nicholson, Treat Williams. They all, in this book, are all mega, mega cocaine drug users. And they all look bad in this book. So once again, I don't know if they just agreed to this, or if they were just told that wouldn't be in there. But all of them look bad. None of them look good. Now, the one person who I would think would have a beef is Robert De Niro. He is mentioned in this book. He is mentioned to do a lot of cocaine in this book. However, he was not interviewed in this book. I'm guessing all of his drug use is coming from secondhand people. I know it was the 80s. I know it was a different time. Because this book came out in 84. So this was barely two years after Belushi's death. So these people still had the stardom that they had at the time of Belushi's death. And now it's coming out that they're all doing coke, which, I don't know. They Everybody was probably doing coke. I don't think everybody wanted everybody to know that they were doing coke. So I, I just don't know where the information came from. Whether the information, like if they interviewed Egg Bailey Jr., but somebody else told them that Egg Bailey Jr. was doing coke, and Egg Bailey Jr. told them something else. If I was De Niro, I would be pissed because he, I looked, he is not interviewed in this book, but he is a huge cocaine user in this book. Another person I want to bring up is Bernie Brillstein, and that was Belushi's manager at the time. Belushi always needed cash to buy drugs with. 
And whenever he would go to Bernie, Bernie would give him cash. He knew it was for drugs. And he was in a weird position, like, I know if I give him this money, he's going to buy drugs. However, it is his money. He is entitled to this money. Because at that point, John didn't have to pay for anything. The studio... And this book also tells you the phenomenal amount of money movie studios had and probably still have. Belushi had a per diem of $2,500 when he was just writing a script. He had this idea for a script called Noble Rot, where he was going to be the son of a wine connoisseur and he gets involved with spies. But the thing is, he was just looking over getting the script written, and he was getting $2,500 a day. The studio paid for his food. The studio paid for lemos. The studio pretty much paid for everything. All John had to do was sign for it, which means he didn't really need cash. So when he would come to somebody for cash, they knew it was for drugs. But just looking at the amount of money that the studio in my opinion, could just basically throw around to get something done is astronomical. And it also tells you how much stars meant back then. Now we have tons and tons of channels, but when you were a star, like Belushi still had the shine from Animal House. He still had that shine. And Eisner knew that he still had that shine. And Eisner, he doesn't look good in this book either. There's a few times in the book where Belushi is asked what was the best time of his life, and it was driving cross-country with Aykroyd. That was when he felt the best. It was just him and Aykroyd and the car and the road. Reading this book, Aykroyd loved Belushi so much that I'm surprised, not surprised, but he did so much to try to get John to cut down on drugs. And even his love for John and John's love for him couldn't do it. I mean, his wife couldn't do it, for crying out loud. So Aykroyd couldn't do it. And you've seen interviews since then, and Aykroyd just wishes that he did more. The saddest part, one of the saddest parts of this book is Belushi's in L.A. And Aykroyd and his wife are in New York. And Aykroyd is typing, is writing Ghostbusters, which was meant for Belushi. The Belushi character, Aykroyd uh, wrote Vinkman for Belushi, went to Bill Murray after his death. And Belushi left a slurred message on his machine, and he went over to Judy's, and they called Smokey Wendell, and it's like, we're all going to go. And this was, <laughs> this was on Friday. Or, like, this was before the weekend. This was, like, a day or two before. It's like, we're all going to go to L.A. We're going to drag John back here by the scruff of his neck if we have to. Put him in an institution if we have to. But we're going to save his life. And they were just a day late. And that's got to be heartbreaking to Aykroyd and Judy, his wife. Because he was around nobody at the time. So, the last... The book is divided into three chapters. And the last chapter is the week, the last week of Belushi's life. I always get, not sad, but I've read this book, this is like the fourth or fifth time I've read this book. Whenever I reach that chapter, I just feel like maybe this time will be different. Maybe it won't end like it's going to end. You know it's going to end like it's going to, how it's going to end, but maybe it won't end this way. So whenever it says, you know, 
part three. It's just like, it's just turning your heart a little. It's like, oh, it's no chance that it's going to end. The state of mind Belushi was in in the last week of his life was just, he had the script called Noble Rot, which he wrote with Don Novello, who plays Father Guido Sarducci. And apparently it was just terrible. The rewrite was just terrible. And everybody told him that it was terrible. So he had that on his mind. Then Michael Eisner, I don't want, I said before he looked like a bad guy. He's a business guy here. He's a business guy. He knew Noble Rot was crap, but he also had an equally shitty script called The Joy of Sex, which was a a sex comedy based on the book of the same name. And this script was notorious. It's been, it was bouncing around Hollywood for years because it was just, it was just garbage. They couldn't get a director, and they couldn't get a star. And Eisner, being the businessman, was like, we can save the script if we can get Belushi in there. And they also wanted Penny Marshall to direct. The Noble Rot was, it was a shitty script, but it didn't have any flair. And Eisner was like, sure, Joyous Sex is stupid, but we put Sex and Belushi on the poster, bam, that's going to make money. He didn't care about making a good product. He was cared about making money. And Belushi wanted to make money and a good project. So that's on his mind now. So now he's got all this swirling around, and then Kathy Smith comes into his life. Oddly enough, Kathy Smith was the girlfriend of Gordon Lightfoot for a while, and also a girlfriend of the member of the band for a while. And she actually met Belushi on Saturday Night Live when the band was the guest, the musical guest on there. All these people, Bernie Brillstein, Eisner was like they were pressuring him to do something that he didn't want to do. That I think that might have been the tipping point where he started using heroin. Well, so we'll backtrack. Belushi was in a tough spot because I mentioned the movie Neighbors, and a good portion of this book is dedicated to the movie Neighbors, which starred Aykroyd and Belushi, and it was based on a novel about this dark comedy about this suburban couple. And this young couple moves in, moves in next to him, and they just start fucking with him. And this movie just had trouble from the start. Belushi and Aykroyd didn't like the director, John Alvedin. A-V-I-L-D-S-E-N. Alvedens? I can't pronounce his name. He directed Rocky. And this is another thing that Hollywood at that time thought, we'll get big names, and that'll be good. We'll get the director of Rocky. Uh, the the guy who wrote it, wrote uh, Larry Gilbert, writer for MASH. We'll get Aykroyd. We'll get Belushi. All big names. You put all big names together, you're going to have a hit, right? Wrong. This movie was just terrible from start. Not terrible. Uh, the back scene was terrible. Aykroyd and Belushi just hated the director. The director hated being second-guessed by Aykroyd and Belushi all the time. Larry Gilbert was pissed because they cha- they basically changed all of his script while shooting. Nobody was happy with this movie, and it was all night shoots. So that's when Belushi got back on cocaine. So this was the start, the second start of his downfall. So Belushi was back on cocaine to stay up for the, nights, the night shoots. 
And Aykroyd, once again, was the wrangler, was the Belushi wrangler. He had to get him out of his trailer lots of times. He had to convince John to do this scene. He had to convince John to do that scene. And at this point, I really feel sorry for Aykroyd because he's got to think of his own career, but he's also trying to save his friend's career and also really trying to save his friend's reputation and basically saving his life. That's what he's doing at this point. So that movie made money, but it was a... It was an advertising blitz. It's like, this movie sucks. We'll get as many people in as possible. And that's what happened. And people said, well, you know, for the shitty movie that was, we made enough money on it. So that was weighing on Belushi's mind. Neighbors not being a hit was on Belushi's mind. The cocaine use that he had from Neighbors started as drug-fueled again. Then he, his Noble Rot script wasn't being produced. And then he wanted to do a shitty movie called Joyous Sex. So all this was building up in Belushi. And he was alone in L.A. with people who didn't care about him. who People who were just using him. We all know how it ends. We all know that he was dead in his hotel room by himself. And we, we talk about Chris Farley. Just the similarities between him and Chris Farley just dying alone in their hotel room, not surrounded by anybody, nobody to look after him. And he needed looking out. He was a grown man, but he needed looking after, and he didn't have anybody. And that's, I, I hate that. That, that, that. That's sad. I know Woodward has defended this book. The, the, there's always uh, an effort to keep it from coming out, and my latest book, Wired, about drugs in Hollywood and... Uh, really a billion-dollar industry, uh, the same squawking and the same, you know, either we already know about this, why do we have to know, or isn't, uh, why are you naming names, why is, is this so specific? And, and is it true that once people do talk to you, they don't eventually usually like what you print? And uh, because uh, the, the wife of John Belushi in your book, let's just have a quick look at it again. Yes. Um, actually says she doesn't even recognize her own husband from the book, and she feels you've betrayed her. Well, she says that, and then she speaks out of the other side of her mouth and said uh, it turns out to have been worth it, and she would even do it again because maybe some people will have learned the lesson. I like the book for the stuff that we don't get in the other books. Don't read it if you're if you if you don't want if you want to be in a happy mood later. I mean, it's interesting and anything. And Belushi was around for such a short time, so anything we have on Belushi, you want to get your hands on, you want to. But it's just a grim, grim book. And I know I know it couldn't have been like that for the for the 33 years. They touch on his time at Martha's Vineyard with his wife and Dan Aykroyd and his friends. They just they just touch on that stuff. And I think that stuff needed to be explored. I definitely think his family life needed to be explored just to see where you know where his drive came from and where his potential drug use came from it's that none of none of that is touched on uh, so would i recommend wired uh, i would just to read it just to just to get the mindset of belushi it's not the complete belushi judy his wife wrote a book called samurai widow and that pretty much was written to counteract wired and then again she wrote the big coffee table book belushi I may do a podcast on that in the future. That's going to be a bigger deal. That's first-hand accounts and not hearsay. And think and and about first-hand accounts, I wanted to bring up this. There is a big portion of the story that only could have been told by Kathy Smith. 
the time when she was alone with Belushi. Nobody else, nobody else was in the room. Belushi is dead, so the only way he could have gotten that information was from Kathy Smith. A drug dealer, groupie, I think this falls under the category of unreliable narrator. How can we take what she said as truth, since it was just her in the room? And nobody can collaborate it. It's sort of presented in this book like this is what really happened. Well, you're getting your information from a junkie who herself was shooting herself up with speedballs while she was shooting Belushi up with speedballs. So how much of it is true? How much of it isn't? We don't know. I have a love-hate relationship with this book. I love the times when I feel that I've learned something from this book. But I hate the fact that it just, it's just painting everybody and pretty much everything in a negative light. Belushi brought so much joy to people in the world. He brought joy to his friends. And none of that is touched on this book. I think we needed to celebrate more of the light that Belushi gave than the darkness that he was caught in. If you are a Belushi completist, if you want to get all the information you can on Belushi, or read this book. But don't be prepared to be happy after you read this book. All right, uh, this was my first podcast on a on literature. Please let me know how I did. Please let me know what you thought about it in the comments below, or you can uh, you can write me at my website. All that information is below, and we'll see everybody here next time on the Dan Aykroyd podcast. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com/scottwhite and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. Why did you write about Belushi, and what can you tell us about him? Yeah, the, uh, I was at the, in the office of the Post, and his widow, after he died uh, in 1982, wanted to come see me. She was from Wheaton, Illinois, where I was from and where Belushi was from. I'd never met Belushi, never met her. And she said, I want you to investigate the death of my husband. And I said, okay, I'll do it if you give me and help me talk to everyone, all the actors, Jack Nicholson, the directors, and so forth. And she did, and all the records. And um, I found out that uh, they were all drug enablers. They made it possible. And I put that in the book because it was right out of their own mouths. And they did not like it. And they, uh, and uh, I understand why they didn't like it. But again, uh, they failed. John Belushi, they'd give him, he's on the move, a movie. And they, the studio would give him $2,500 in cash per diem. Now, why does an actor, you know, their credit cards, there's things, to buy drugs. They knew it was for drugs. And uh, he was great under drugs. But um, I learned personally a very good lesson that when you have somebody you know who's going off the edge, you can't kind of say, well, not my responsibility. It is your responsibility. And that you have to uh, help people. And I think uh, in this case, they did not. I remember 
going to a college audience once and somebody asked you, why did you write about Belushi? And I gave my answer and he said, well, I know why you wrote about Belushi. And I said, why? And he said, because he's just like Richard Nixon. And I said, why? And he said, good answer. He said, because it's about the failure of success. Nixon was at the top and he crashed. Belushi was at the top and he crashed. He converted success into failure. And uh, I think that's true. And I think there are lots of people who do that. And uh, it's a, but it's a, it's a personal lesson for me. You can't be passive. This has been a Cross the Streams Media Podcast. And a casting director who was casting a movie called Wired saw me. And Wired ended up being the first movie that I ever auditioned for. Now, it took three years and something like a dozen auditions, but I ended up landing that movie and to play the role of John Belushi in the film Wired, which I thought was an incredible break and, you know, with an Academy Award-winning producer and, you know, just a thrill of a lifetime. And, it was, and you know, it was a national search for someone. It's, it's just not the normal way that people come into it. I didn't know that at the time, but, you know, and I, did, I didn't know a lot of things. I, I keep thinking about how many times things happened in my life out of just blind ignorance. And people would like credit me with being brave or courageous. And I just go, what do you, like people said, would say to me at the time, you know, you were so brave to take on that role. And I would look at them blankly because I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. I wasn't brave at all. I, I, to me, it was a no brainer. I was telling people the specials that night and it was either tell people those specials or play John Belushi in a film with an Academy Award-winning producer. I didn't know anything about the controversy surrounding that picture. I had no idea. I, of course, I knew who Bob Woodward was. You know, he was the guy who took down Nixon, but I didn't know the backstory of between he and the Belushis or anything. The friends, I didn't know uh, who Michael Ovitz was. I was completely ignorant to the new, the LA scene.